0: tuesday to you and welcome to real talk thanks for making time for us ryan jesperson here with you alongside samuel g brooks we were just talking about the important things we talk about the things that matter here on real talk The things
1: that matter absolutely The things
0: that really matter real life stuff and you and i were debating as a matter of fact not debating we were finding common ground you want to bring the folks up to speed
1: oh yeah sure well basically what i was saying is is has got a Got a coffee mug sitting on the table in front of him a couple of them a yeah. couple
0: of them and, and and he
1: he said right before we went live he's like do I have time to go dump this out? Before yeah. we go on
0: well, I sort and, of thought that maybe because I got this daily driver here, right? Yeah, uh, this because we're waiting on delivery of our real talk mugs They're gonna be amazing and don't worry. They're gonna be available at Ryan. You've just been person. teasing
1: com. them for like I I four been. months You wouldn't
0: you wouldn't believe how long it takes to <clears throat> to do it, right? Mm. To do it and do it right and then to build an e-commerce site where you can, you know,
1: uh, to be fair I've never built uh, I've never built an e-commerce site around a mug before We just so found something
0: is, that Sam has not done before. Yeah.
1: Well, there so you go. There this is, you go. This is brand new to me we we got a great
0: show in store coming up today in just a few minutes We're gonna check in with uh, Reverend Michael Corrin uh, certainly a prominent uh, Canadian commentator Uh, The good reverend has uh, experienced his own. uh, What am I about to say? I was about to say the the least profound thing I've ever said. The good reverend has experienced his own journey. Uh, Yeah, so has everybody else. Not the point. Uh, Michael uh, Corrin's journey has been an interesting one in the context of social justice. And and we'll get to that in just a moment. He's an Anglican cleric. And he's just uh, released a piece, uh, published a piece in the Toronto Star about the release of On Monday yesterday from the Vatican talking about gay marriage after we talk to the Reverend Michael Corrin we have an opportunity to check in with Jamie Manson very much looking forward to this conversation that's coming up in about a half hour's time Uh, Jamie's a grad uh, from Yale's Divinity School and she's the president of Catholics for Choice what's Catholics for Choice Um, it's a voice for Catholics who believe that the religious tradition supports One's right to follow their conscience, they say, in matters of sexuality and reproductive health. You can check them out online ahead of my conversation with Jamie at CatholicsForChoice.org. So it's going to be a great show today, taking on an issue that's certainly being talked about around the world right now. Catholics around the world, I mean, some Catholics around the world, devastated yesterday by the by the release, the proclamation, if you will, from the Vatican. Others are saying, uh, what are you talking about? It's congruous with our faith. I would love to hear from you to talk at ryanjesperson.com We'll be monitoring our Real Talk inbox through the course of the show today as we put this thing down live. We'll also be keeping an eye on our hashtag real talk RJ. That's where you can find us uh, in real time. And of course in what we uh, lovingly call the chatterbox, our live chat, which which Sam keeps an eye on to make sure things go, don't get totally out of control.
1: Totally out of control. Yeah, I'm I'm I am i am i have always got one eye open to the chatterbox over here. It's just it's this little strip right okay. here. On my looking screen. forward yeah. to
0: it. So we've we've got the the live viewers this morning with us on YouTube. We've got people streaming live audio on Mixler. and of course we've got the gang that's going to catch this podcast later. All of this made possible. Each and every day By the team at Bitcoin Well If crypto is not yet Part of your strategy Is it something You're considering CEO Adam O'Brien He's the founder of Bitcoin Well Was on the show a while ago And he was taking some questions From people Not this exact question But if I were to sum it up They were like What are you saying I should sell my house I should sell everything And buy Bitcoin He goes no He says take 1% Of what you've got Take 1% And invest it in crypto That's his advice If you want to ask the team at Bitcoin, well, why that makes sense? Why the 1%? Why is that the number they pick? Look them up. Ask those questions. That's why they're here. That's the whole point of what they do. It's the easiest and safest way to buy and sell Bitcoin. Find them under the sponsors tab at Ryan jesperson.com
2: Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: So this is a release from the Vatican yesterday, essentially a statement uh, that I think surprised some people because six months ago, uh, Pope Francis essentially endorsed same-sex civil unions. It was made public in a documentary, uh, in a 2019 interview for the documentary Francesco, Pope Francis saying, quote, homosexual people have the right to be in a family. They are the children of God. What we have to have is a civil union law. That way, they are legally covered. So legally covered, but not necessarily sanctioned by the church. It was a statement that the Pope made during an interview with uh, the Mexican broadcaster Televisa, and it was cut by the Vatican. But the statement later appeared in that documentary, the documentary that I just mentioned. So a statement yesterday from the Vatican said that God never ceases to bless all people including people who are gay but it went on to say quote but God does not and cannot bless sin he blesses sinful man so that he may recognize that he is part of his plan of love and allow himself to be changed by him the church does not have and cannot have the power to bless unions of persons of the same sex so this has obviously had uh, a huge impact on uh, conversation around the world considering the number of uh, people uh, in in uh, you know dozens and dozens of countries who profess to be catholic also of course conversation among the mainstream public on the impact of this type of statement and some confusion admittedly around the position that the church takes by way of pope francis who was perceived to be by some as a matter of fact celebrated by some on the cover of uh, some magazines uh, in some faith communities and faith circles there were conversations around the progressive nature of pope francis and so the declaration yesterday that same-sex unions are a sin that the roman catholic church cannot bless the real question here which i'm curious to ask our two guests this morning right out of the gates were you surprised what does it say what does this mean what does it mean for gay and lesbian catholics what does it mean for trans catholics what does it mean for the church itself people are talking about grace this morning people are talking about blessings this morning people are talking about what sin means this morning people are talking about hypocrisy within the church and this is an interesting one as a matter of fact some pretty prominent voices are stepping forward to talk about this I wanted to show you this tweet this morning Sam maybe we can bring it up on my screen this from the official Elton John Twitter who wonders uh, the of course world-renowned performer quote how can the Vatican refuse to bless gay marriages because they quote our sin yet happily make a profit from investing millions of dollars in rocket man a film which celebrates says elton john my finding happiness from my marriage to david he's hashtagged hypocrisy and i don't know if there's any other word for it sam other than that
1: yeah i was unaware that the
0: vatican was a funder of rocket man yeah he he uh he, he he tags a a headline out of the Daily Beast here, uh, a piece by Barbie Latzenado, a correspondent at large back in December of 2019, how the Vatican spent millions on Elton John's biopic. So you have people talking about the grace angle. You have people talking about the sin angle, and you have people talking about the hypocrisy angle, among many other angles. It depends who you are. It depends what your reality is in evaluating what this will mean to you or what the impact will mean uh, to you. Is Michael Corn ready to rock right now, Sam? Are we hanging he, tight? Yeah, uh, he just He's logged in. He's just signing in. in. So, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't I buy you about a minute? I'll remind you of a couple of our presenting sponsors while Sam gets the good reverend ready to go. The team at Kubi Energy proudly presents every Monday morning positive reflections. We absolutely loved what we had yesterday. Or thanks to those of you that passed along the Story of the the family That's working with a corporation To be able to make Cancelled waffles at home You're going, what? What is this story about this this Boy living with autism and, and, and organic waffles? What? You gotta watch it You can go back, check out our YouTube channel You can check out our podcast, we push them out Positive Reflections on YouTube as their own Entity, so you can share it around and find your positivity to kick off the week Kuby energy is a tesla certified solar installer jake kubisky their founder and ceo on our solar panel last friday if you missed it you can check out the podcast they do commercial and residential installs across bc and alberta from the small ones all the way up to the big commercial ones and they handle your paperwork too at kubi energy the team at park power is powering this morning our real talk rj hashtag And of course, they're powering the province of Alberta as well. Electricity, natural gas, and internet. Parkpower.ca is where you can find them online. And with the promo code 2021-REALTALK, you'll save $70 off your first bill. There's no catch. 2021-REALTALK at parkpower.ca. The Reverend Michael Corrin is an Anglican cleric, a columnist, a well-known broadcaster, you can check out his work at com. He's the author of 17 books. His next, The Rebel Christ, which will be out in October of 2021. And as he says on his Twitter bio, four kids, one wife, no hair. Reverend Corin, welcome to the program. <laughs>
3: well, as you can see, I'm a living example of, uh, of the... Uh- the benefits of boldness, shall we say?
0: There you are. Well, it's it's a tight look, and uh, we're thrilled to have you here today. I've I've just finished your piece about an hour ago, um, that you penned for the Toronto Star this morning, and I'm really curious to pick your brain on uh, your your maybe your initial response to w- what you first thought when you saw this release from the Vatican yesterday, and and then where your mind has taken you over the last twenty four hours or so.
3: Well, I didn't expect the Vatican to suddenly say that they would marry same-sex couples that isn't going to happen it won't happen in my lifetime i doubt if it'll ever happen in the roman catholic church i think if it does it'll there'll be a division in the church it'll, it'll it'll simply split there are so many conservatives there. there's such a cultural baggage behind all of this as well i i, I can't see it happening but under this papacy under pope francis well there's been a certain ambiguity and he, he said some very positive and progressive things and he takes them back slightly but I didn't think it would be as as rigid and formal as this. What happened was a question was asked to the doctrine of the faith, the Vatican, the the people who run the place, about blessing same-sex unions, not marrying them, uh, simply saying that we bless them. And the response came back, no. It said that uh, this was sinful, that uh, gay unions were a choice. Well, of course they're a choice, any union is a choice. (laughs) To get married to different genders is a choice. Um, And it it repeated the words disorder and and sin, which is what is in the Catholic Catechism, that homosexuality is in itself disordered and sinful. You're meant to love the sinner, but reject the sin, which is deeply reductive and insulting because it compares what is a, a, a born sexuality with alcoholism, for example. I mean, if you meet an alcoholic, you don't say, love that alcoholism, really brilliant. You say, no, I love you, but I reject the alcoholism and we'll work on it. Well, being gay, being LGBTQ2 is not the same as that. It's Look, your sexuality is not sinful. It's morally irrelevant. It's how you behave that is the issue. For example, if you judge others, if you condemn others, if you dislike, hate others, that is sinful. Being born gay, just as... Me being born straight, that is not a sin. It's not an ethical issue.
0: We've got Nad watching in live on YouTube this morning. Nad says, you know, I had a a job interview with the Catholic school board. And in my interview, I had to sign a document that I wasn't in a same-sex relationship. And I was shocked. Do you think that, that, that a development like yesterday, Reverend, serves to remind those that, that don't walk in the traditions of the Catholic faith every day or every week that this is still a reality? Do you think that some people were, were perhaps being misled or confused or misunderstanding the priorities of this pope who I think had been portrayed based on some of his comments and leadership on this file with marriage equality on the climate file as more of a progressive pope?
3: That's a very very good point actually, very perceptive because look, on some issues he is very good and we have to give credit where it's due. You mentioned climate, uh, world economics, uh, vaccinations, for example, many right-wing Catholics are opposed to them. He's been very good on these issues. And when it comes to sexuality, good Lord, he sent um, a wonderful letter of support to a nun in Argentina who works with trans women who are frequently beaten uh, to death, forced into the sex trade or or, or addiction. He's, He's done some wonderful things. But um, I think he's under pressure from other people. And what this reformalizing of Catholic dogma has done is as you suggest, it's to empower people who want to be very conservative. A lot of Catholic school boards, a lot of Catholic teachers, a lot of Catholic institutions, they turn a blind eye to all of this. They don't really care about it because they're, they're, they're loving progressive people. But this has given a weapon. It's increased the armory of those people And and they're still significant in the Catholic Church who want to be very conservative on the issue. And one more thing I I really have to say, and I don't say this to be in any way critical. Well, maybe I do to be critical, but not vindictive. The reality is the Catholic Church probably employs more gay men than any other institution in the world. And that might sound like hyperbole, but the the, the general consensus view is around 50% of all Catholic clergy are gay. That doesn't surprise me because the caring professions, whatever they are, have always attracted gay men. It's to to their credit. Are all of those men celibate? I've got no idea. I spent many years in the Catholic Church. I wrote a book about um, homosexuality and Christianity. I did a lot of interviews. I can tell you a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are in same-sex unions. I mean, I know this for a fact. You know, those inside the church, they they just throw their heads back because they know what goes on. When you have an institution where, where the I <clears throat> where gay men are so prominent, not just clergy level in parishes but um, bishops, cardinals, and beyond, well, it, it muddies the water too because many are, are in denial. There's hypocrisy. There's fear. All of these things are factors in
0: an issue where most of the world has progressed years ago. Are you saying, just to be clear, are you saying that you know personally, ever you have personally spoken with? with several uh members of catholic clergy who are actively in same-sex relationships mate
3: i mean really there'll there'll be people watching now who will just be laughing no disrespect to you but Yes, I, 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 I just want
0: to I, what I really want, Reverend, is just to get you on the record so I can ask the follow up question of what you think this does to the psyche of a person who is is essentially, I don't want to say forced, but compelled to preach a message that is that is a direct dichotomy to their own reality. I mean, it's not the first time, certainly, but I, I'm not sure I could wrap my it's mind around point.
3: it. Look, I have met a lot of Catholic clergy in my life, and I, I yes, I know a number of them who are gay and they're celibate. And the church, the Catholic Church, teaches that the being gay but not acting on it is acceptable. Although they've changed their position a little bit in terms of clergy, they've they've said that really even if people are gay but celibate, they shouldn't be admitted into seminaries. That's a bit of a grey area. But yes, I know I've interviewed men who were in same-sex relationships while still Catholic clergy. Um, the ones I've I've interviewed, they've left. They couldn't take the hypocrisy anymore. But I can think of. Half a dozen right now, I'm not going to name them, although actually in my book, I think I do name some of them, but men who were in relationships. Sometimes they had to hide it. And there, I know of one case where it was well known to the bishop who just said, well, this is the way we'll deal with it. You know, this is. This is hardly a secret in, in those circles, uh, which is why it makes some of these rulings so so absolutely ridiculous and very hard to take seriously.
0: Michael, can you I don't actually know the story of your of your I mean, it's it, you've had an obvious and public, uh, you know, if I want to say an evolution of sorts, many people you know, perceive you to be or remember you as quite a conservative columnist and public commentator now. I mean, all, you know, I see you doing is is essentially commenting on and advocating for issues around social justice. Uh, many people, including people watching the show right now, are remarking on what they perceive to be your transformation. Can you comment on that well, in the context of this?
3: Yeah, sure. Well, it was a long time. Ago, well, a long time. Ago. It was seven years ago now. So mm-hmm. <laughs> where have you been? Well, you but, and I have um, spoke
0: you and I have spoken about yeah. it before, but not on this platform.
3: Oh, yeah. No, we, we have. I mean, other people. But then why would they know about me? Who am I? For goodness sake. Um, Well, more than seven years ago, I had, I suppose, what you call an epiphany, uh, a conversion. I I was a Roman Catholic. I wasn't ordained. I'm married, have four children. But um, I I was a layman. I was known as a Catholic conservative. I I, I wrote books about it. I spoke all over North America. I had columns everywhere. And and, uh, that was who I was. And on this issue, I would have stood by what the church has just said and on some other issues, too. And I had was a very painful period for me, this transformation. And because I knew that if I actually moved my point of view to what was increasingly, in my mind, a genuinely Christian point of view, a progressive, a loving point of view, I knew not only would it come at um, an emotional cost, but it would also destroy my career. And I was right, it did. (laughs) That doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm a very lucky person. But yeah, I I left the Catholic Church. And the main issue was that of sexuality, because I couldn't, tolerate the double standard anymore. Um, And yeah, I I was fired from about uh, five different columns and TV show, radio show, um, every speaking engagement. Now I'm not here, this is all old news and I'm not here to cry the victim, uh, but when people talk about cancel culture, um, it's not just the hard left that play that game, the right have played that game for a very long time indeed. Uh, And I fully understood why various Catholic organizations would fire me. I left the Catholic Church. That's absolutely understandable. But it went beyond that. Uh, For example, uh, I was a guest host, regular guest host on a Christian TV show that wasn't Catholic. And they fired me over this issue, over the issue of marriage. And I said to them at the time, but I've never mentioned that issue on your show. I wouldn't out of respect for you. And they said, yeah, but people know what you think. Hmm. And they fired me. So, yes, I mean, everything was taken. But that's okay. You know, I've I've rebuilt uh, a journalistic career. I'm much happier. And about five years ago, four years ago, five years ago, I um, decided after many struggles to uh, go to seminary for three years. And I was ordained as an Anglican cleric um, in October of 2019. Thank God.
0: When we talk about the, you know, the, I had a really interesting conversation with a pastor by the name of Greg Hohalter uh, in right here in Alberta. <clears throat> we were talking about mass compliance and COVID and, and science versus theology. Didn't have a lot to do necessarily with what we're talking about now, Reverend, although I think there are some parallels uh, but he, we were talking about, you know, the growth of the church and, you know, they would say the growth of the body of Christ and of the congregation and bringing in new believers and, and convincing young people who have trended away from the church to stay and to raise their families there. Now, I don't think that a church steeped in tradition like the Catholic Church is is all of a sudden going to start shaking its foundations in the name of attracting a new generation of believers. I don't get the sense that that's the type of thing that would compel the Vatican to, to consider what would be significant policy change, but what is it that prompts you to believe when you say you don't think that the church would, the Catholic church would change its tune on this? Uh, you, you you essentially said in your lifetime, and then you said, or ever. Uh, what gives you that sense?
3: Well, first of all, I, I wouldn't expect any church to change its views simply to attract members or to be fashionable. Um, if, if it's truth, if they have the truth, they, they stand by the truth. And if I thought that scripture actually told me the Hebrew scriptures, the gospels, the acts of the church, the church fathers, if I thought that all of this told me that uh, homosexuality was sinful, if I thought it told me that uh, equal marriage was unacceptable, then alas, I'd have to follow that. But after years, years of study of scripture, and I've taken it very seriously, you know, original text, original language and so on, no, it doesn't. I mean, I've written about this over and over again. Um, homosexuality is barely mentioned in Scripture. People talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel in the Old Testament says the sin of Sodom was nothing to do with sex. It was about la- lack of hospitality and haughtiness. Um, lesbianism is never mentioned in the Old Testament. It's The whole thing is mentioned probably four or five times. And if you read what it really says, it's not about a loving, consenting uh, adult relationship. Jesus never mentions the issue. Although there is at one point when he, he says to a centurion, a Gentile convert, really, what a wonderful man he is. And there's a very good argument to say that that man was in a gay relationship with his slave, which was very common uh, in that period. And when Paul mentions it, again, it's not about loving relationships. It's about straight men using boys in pagan rituals. So the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. What the Bible does is to scream for love, for people not to judge others, to embrace, and to include. So I do not believe there is any argument to say no to what are loving relationships. Anything that stems a circle of love is a good thing. And to throw terms around like sin, you know, every day on social media, every day on Twitter, I've got quite a lot of followers on Twitter. Every single day, I am accused of child abuse, of of being dishonest, um, my family are attacked. This goes on and on and on by people who call loving, kind, wonderful gay men and women sinful. This sometimes, I've got youth, I've got a thick skin. I'm a big boy. You know, I can take all this stuff. But the double standard, the inability to see the way you're behaving, and and the and the inconsistency in the hypocrisy, sometimes is breathtaking.
0: I'm reading you've, you've been uh, responding to some of your detractors uh, even this morning. Uh, you and I have that in common. We can't always leave it alone. Uh, someone reached <laughs> out to you and said, so now religion is political, too. I'm sure the Lord is happy you're a liberal. You said it's always been political. You said, you, you point out that Jesus was political. What would you be preaching this morning on that?
3: Recently, I preached on the cleansing of the temple, turning over the tables. And what he was, <coughs> <excuse> me, <coughs> sorry, what he was really doing there was, uh, it wasn't money lenders. That's a, a mistranslation. Uh, the, the, the cheapest of sacrifice, a dove or a pigeon, normally sold to women, frequently widows, um, who had very little money. So it was the poor and it was women, the powerless, who were being exploited. That's what he was really screaming against. And he, he was... Over and over again, when he he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the gates of heaven, but with God, all things are possible. When he tells a a young man with a great deal of wealth, sell everything you have. When he attacks those who are legalistic, when he says, if you're without sin, cast the first. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I mean, I I don't play the party game here. and I'm not a liberal, by the way. I don't have party politics. That's, That's irrelevant to me but the, the idea that the Gospels are conservative, the Gospels are revolutionary. The Gospels make Karl Marx look mediocre in the middle of the road. They're saying, forgive the people who attack you, love those who hate you, carry the bags of an oppressor, turn the other cheek, try that just for 15 minutes and see, and see how you do. And he, he's, he welcomes everybody, feeds everybody Uh, A a rich man needs a healing, yes, but first of all, this anonymous woman needs one. I I go to her first. The Gospels are radical, root change, that change the world. Overturning the, the tables in the temple, we overturn the tables of the world. This is a cruel, unfair world full of injustice and poverty and inequality. And as followers of Yeshua, of the gentle Rabbi Jesus, we have to deal with that. Now, I don't think we'll ever solve it, but we have to try. And the notion that being a Christian means being conservative with a small C is, to me, an aberration.
0: Reverend, in closing, and I want to thank you for your time. If you're listening, uh, tuning in live streaming audio, this is the Reverend Michael Corrin joining us. Uh, I have seen uh, anecdotally online hundreds of comments talking about hypocrisy here in the context of the church's long an appalling history of pedophilia and of protecting uh, those that would would perpetrate those crimes against young people sex crimes essentially I'm not necessarily saying that the two conversations have anything to do one another but it's to do with one another but it certainly prompts the question is the church in a position to make any decree on any front here unless it gets its own house in order What's your understanding of the current reality right now with the Catholic Church and reconciling that long history?
3: It's an open wound, and I I think you make a good point. I mean, the two issues aren't related, but there is this notion of hypocrisy. And any institution with a power structure, there will be some form of abuse. abuse. That's inevitable. But if you trace the history of of sex abuse issues in the Catholic Church, they really begin – after the Counter-Reformation, when celibacy was enforced. Um, that doesn't have to be in the Catholic Church. That's not a dogma. Uh, there, there was a time when priests could marry, monks meant to be celibate, uh, then it was applied again, and it, but it was very rarely applied. It was just ob- observed, I think. After the 16th century, celibacy was enforced, and you can actually see the, the abuse scandals begin at that point because men of bro- very broken or immature sexuality became clergy. They had no life experience. But what's happened in the past 50, 75 years, and Pope Francis has not been very good on this issue. Pope Benedict was poor on the issue. Pope John Paul II was dreadful on the issue. I'm not saying they encouraged. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I think they were ignorant of, that. they denied, they refused, they were incredulous. Yes, the abuse has gone on, and... It is very difficult to, to, to stomach an institution that has turned a blind eye to this, allowed it in Canada, golly in Canada many times, but then takes up a conservative reactionary position on, on grown adult men and women who simply fall in love with people of the same gender because that's the way they were born. Mm-hmm. And God does not make mistakes, be born straight, be born gay, whatever, it's irrelevant. How do you live? How do you treat others? That's what
0: matters. You can read the Reverend Michael Corrin's piece in the Toronto Star uh, out yesterday. Vatican decree on refusing to bless same-sex unions is shameful and hypocritical. You can read his work or learn more about his upcoming book at michaelcorrin.com and be sure to give him a follow on Twitter. Reverend, thank you for this.
3: Anytime. Real pleasure. Thank you.
0: You bet in just a moment we will uh, expand our conversation uh, very much looking forward to checking in with jamie manson who's uh, the president of catholics for choice right now wanted to remind you that the team at saint albert and sherwood dodge is ready to help you reinvent your ride if maybe spring for you looks like a great opportunity to i don't know get into something new that you actually enjoy driving check out the new jeep cherokee they're they're down down you know Typically over 40 grand. These are the ones with like the heated leather steering wheel. Sam and I were obsessing over that yesterday. They've got the Bluetooth touch screen. They've got that. I mean, the power plant with the Cherokee has been known for a long time, more than sufficient without making sacrifices on the fuel efficiency side. The new Cherokee for under 35 grand at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Go see the teams there. You won't find a better selection of 2021 Jeeps and Dodge Rams than you will at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. The team at Friesen Brothers, I'm sure will be thrilled to see. Sam, let me see if I can scroll back and find it here. You've been seeing people are checking in from Friesen Brothers this morning on the show. I've David, noticed that, yeah. David Malka. He says, good morning from Friesen Brothers. He says, I got my coffee. And, and David's trolling everybody. I love it. He says, I've got my raisin cinnamon bun. boy, David. Says, what an amazing price. That from David. Maybe we're going to have people gathering at the Friesen Brothers. Every morning. Why not? There's 15 of them across the province of Alberta. Friesen Brothers for more than 60 years. Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Let's take a look at what's making news this morning. Had a chance to uh, correct something that went out on the show yesterday. And I always want to make sure that we get a chance to do this. I said something yesterday and Dr. Jennifer Jackson reached out to us. You remember her. She's a she's an RN, Ph.D. She's been on the show before as part of our medical panels, our our coverage through COVID-19. And and she said she says, Ryan, and you, you guys know that I'm not a physician. I know this may come as a surprise to some, but I am definitely, definitely not a physician. Definitely. I couldn't get through first year biology. Forget forget about becoming a physician. We're lucky to have people like Dr. Jennifer Jackson, RN who says a friendly note about those AstraZeneca vaccine blood clots you were talking about. It's causal. She says they don't think that the vaccine causes the clots, so they recommend that the vaccines continue. This may be occurring at the same time, but one doesn't create the other. She says the risks of COVID are far higher, Ryan. So it's really important for people to continue to get vaccinated. The effect also seems to be isolated to a single batch of vaccine, which may be a separate issue. We were talking about some of those clotting concerns that you're seeing those stories pop up in Europe. Our thanks to Dr. Jennifer Jackson for that. There's actually a Catholic angle on vaccines, believe it or not. And maybe we'll get into that with our next guest. Also wanted to tell you just about a horrific story here in in the province of Alberta, where we're coming to you from, in the city of Leduc, just south of Edmonton. Yesterday, a teenage girl, a 17-year-old girl, dying of her injuries in hospital after she was violently stabbed at Christ the King School in Leduc. Real Talk has confirmed that the 19-year-old taken into custody by police is the victim's stepbrother. And we'll continue to keep you updated on that tragic story as more details become available. Our thoughts to the students, the staff, the faculty, the educators, the community members in the Christ the King School community in Leduc, Alberta. What an absolutely awful story. Well, take a look at what you have to say about the subject matter we're talking about today. I'm most especially interested in in hearing from Catholics, quite frankly, how the message yesterday from the Vatican resonated with you. I'd love to know how you're wrapping your mind around it and, and, and what you make of it and what this means to you and your practice of faith. I would suspect that most people might be saying it's not a surprise. We're not surprised about this. But I don't want to take anything for granted or make any assumptions. And so please do feel free to be in touch with the show. You know, you can use the Real Talk RJ hashtag. That's one of the best ways to communicate with the show. And then, of course, you can also send us emails. We're keeping an eye on our inbox this morning talk at ryanjesperson.com. Uh, love this from Jules John, who's uh, watching the show this morning on Twitter says, You know, today would be a good day to bring up taxing the church. How much money are we leaving on the table for this outdated policy? We're broke. Maybe now is time to get this massive voting block to pay its dues. want to have a conversation around taxing the church. That's an interesting conversation. Some people have said unless the church can get on board with you know, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, for example, extending marriage equality to people, then maybe the federal government should treat the church a little bit differently in Canada. You can let me know what you think about that. Terry says, my grandfather helped build, like physically build, a Catholic church across from our farm when my dad married my mom, who was a divorcee with three kids, he was kicked out of the church his father built. That's from Terry. I'm looking forward to this next conversation. Jamie Manson is president of Catholics for Choice, which is a voice for the majority of Catholics who believe in reproductive rights in the United States. For 12 years, Jamie was a columnist at the National Catholic Reporter, where she was one of the very few openly LGBTQ journalists in the Catholic media around the world. Jamie, welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for making time for us.
2: Thank you, Ryan. Good morning.
0: Good morning to you. Now, like I just said, I don't want to make any assumptions that most Catholics in, in hearing of, of this release from the Vatican yesterday are simply going to say, yeah, what's new? Did this send shockwaves um, across the United States, uh, um, uh, through Catholic churches, would you speculate across Canada as well, or or is this? I mean, is this just par for the course?
2: Well, I think it's a, it's the answer is complicated. Um, I have watched Pope Francis very closely for eight years uh, as as a lesbian Catholic and a former journalist. Uh, I listened very carefully to what he had to say about same sex relationships. It was typically quite negative. The problem is that um, Francis had a really a love affair with the media, and very often you didn't hear when he spoke about LGBTQ people that way. You only heard the good things. So I wasn't surprised, but it was profoundly disappointing. Uh, The language was much stronger than even I would have expected to call it our relationships and our love flat out sin, was pretty devastating. Uh, and I do think there, there are shockwaves. I do think there are a lot of people who were finding a lot of hope in Francis uh, because he did position himself as a, a pope who was going to build bridges and heal wounds. And this was profoundly wounding for a lot of people, LGBTQ and the people who love LGBTQ people, family and friends.
0: Can I ask you a question that might be obvious, but but I, I'd really love to hear your your the way that you answer it. Why is invoking the word "sin so significant here?
2: Because we love, you know and we love our partners, uh, and our love has just the same amount of potential for. For goodness, for holiness, for sacrifice, for faithfulness, for generosity, that our heterosexual friends and family have. There's no difference. Uh, We we flourish in the same ways and we hurt each other in the same ways. And so, to make, basically, this is based on our genitalia, ultimately, in terms of the, the theology of it. And to say that that alone creates a sin, uh, is profoundly hurtful and and just inconsistent with the lived truth of our lives.
0: Jamie, I don't want to put you in a position where I'm asking you to speak on behalf of millions of people. Uh, if I try to avoid that, though, it means that this interview can tend to get a little bit personal. So I'm going to try to find the balance between the two here. That's but fine. But when we talk about when we talk about finding a fit, in community or feeling love in community or partaking or fellowshipping or, or participating in communion or, or, um, uh, you know, I mean, different faith traditions obviously have different ways within which this manifests. Did you, as, as, as you say, as, as a lesbian Catholic, did, have you had a point in your life where you truly felt loved, welcomed, you truly felt a member of community?
2: In the institutional Catholic church, it's hard to say this, but no, even though I myself was a pastoral associate at a Catholic parish as an out lesbian uh, in Manhattan, and we did a very radical ministry to LGBTQ people. But even then, Uh, Ultimately, Ryan, the issue is I cannot get married in the church of my childhood, the church in which I was raised, raised, the church that I trained all of my life to serve. And when you can't approach that altar, it creates shame, even for people like me who have been out loud and proud for 12 years in a very public way. So it's a very, very deep wound uh, for, for all of us.
0: You know, this is this is not the same thing, but what I can bring to this conversation as someone who grew up in an evangelical church, one of the things I always had a hard time as a child, in a child's mind, that remains with me to this day is that in a denomination that prohibited women from preaching or women from holding positions of pastoral care or being on a pastoral staff in any sort of a teaching capacity, even as a child and to this day, I could never reconcile how a woman could feel fully equal or Fully valued as a member of that community now it has nothing to do with sexual orientation necessarily, but I do think that you can find similarities there in the conversations
2: Absolutely, that's a that's a very important point, Ryan. I'm I'm impressed uh, that you make that connection. Uh, there actually are very deep connections. There, I often say the reason why LGBTQ couples cannot approach the altar is the same reason why I, as a woman, cannot stand behind the altar. Right. And that is that the Catholic Church has very, like the Evangelical Church, same thing, have very rigid understandings of gender roles and what women should be doing and what men should be doing. Uh, in the church and in society. So men are always leaders and initiative takers. Women are meant to serve and to nurture. How does that translate to LGBTQ people? It goes back to this notion of the body uh, and that our bodies, according to the church, are are God's way to signal to us what men's role should be and what women's role should be. Because um, uh, same-sex couples, their their bodies don't complement each other, literally, physically. They are seen as going against God's plan for humanity. And that was reflected in the in the Vatican statement yesterday. So in the same way women wanting to be priests would be going against God's plan for humanity, same-sex couples having a loving sexual relationship also goes against God's plan for humanity. And it is a struggle because a lot of us feel deep connections to our faith, Uh, And we work hard. People like me work very hard to try to change and transform our churches. Uh, And and, you know, when you you have days like we had yesterday, it it does uh, it it is a blow.
0: Yeah. So what does that do to you? What does that do to your resolve? What does that do to the organization's resolve? I mean, Catholics for choice. Um, Let's speak in the broader context. Sure.
2: What it does for me is it it actually gets me even more motivated. And I'll explain why. Uh, Some people might say you're a masochist. Uh, (laughs) That may be true. But uh, there's something deeper going on for me here, particularly with the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church is a global political powerhouse, Uh, they have diplomatic relationships with every country in the world. They have their own special status at the United Nations. And because of that, these doctrines aren't just something that affects people in the church. It affects Catholics and non-Catholics, and it affects policy, global policy, health policy, in profound ways, um, and very often ways that harm the vulnerable and the poor and the sick most. So the reason, on, on on my bad days, like yesterday, the reason I keep moving forward and pushing forward is I know the ramifications that this will have globally, particularly for the most vulnerable.
0: When you talk about, you know, the, the Pope and Pope Francis, and I know that, you know, I've just had a conversation with Reverend Michael Corrin before I talked to you about maybe people's perception of that Pope and how progressive he may have been or have been perceived right. to be, right, based on comments in right. past about about civil unions uh, specifically. Yes. Also, I think in the, in the context of what resonated here, Um, To give you a tiny peek into our reality on the climate file, uh, Jamie, um, we've got a a premier and a provincial government here in the province of Alberta that's fighting climate legislation. They're fighting the carbon tax. They've released... Uh, or rather relaxed environmental restrictions or monitoring for some uh, energy oil sands capacity. But you also have a premier who professes to be a very religious and practicing Mm -hmm. Catholic. And the reason that this has become relevant is that when Pope Francis has made comments about climate responsibility and stewardship and how people of faith should approach policy, uh, people in Alberta have quite rightfully, I think, asked the premier to comment on this type of a thing, which I've yet to see him do on the record. Pope Francis has been perceived in the province of Alberta to be one who's fighting for climate justice, so to speak, which you can't necessarily say, at least not based on my memory or my recollection of previous popes. What's the deal with Pope Francis? Has people been misunderstanding uh, the way that he approaches uh, one of the most powerful positions in the world? Or, or do you think that this yesterday remarks somewhat of a change of tune?
2: Well, I call him the papal paradox sometimes uh, because there are ways in which he is so radically progressive, uh, including that statement, uh, La Si', his encyclical on the environment, with which is an extraordinary achievement and an extraordinary document. Uh, to be fair to his predecessor, Pope Benedict XVI, he was also known as the Green Pope. He just didn't have very good PR behind him, and he certainly didn't produce uh, an encyclical of, of that weight. Uh, I think it's it's the church has has always been great on the poor and uh, being against nuclear weapons and economic justice and even labor unions. But when it comes to what we call sometimes in my field, the pelvic zone issues, they just cannot move forward. And I think part of that is a profound fear of women's power. Uh, ultimately, I think the Catholic Church is a very radical patriarchy. It's the last and most radical patriarchy in the world. It's the only church left where you have not only an all-male leadership structure, but men who have no relationship with women, no wives, no daughters, really cut off from women's experience. And that just makes it so difficult for them to imagine giving women any kind of power. And The reason that affects LGBTQ people is, again, because of that same theology uh, of the body, as it's called. So the irony for me also, though, about the Pope's statements about the environment is what he doesn't reckon with in that document is the fact that a lot of their environmental degradation is due to patriarchy, is due to this sense among an elite class of men that the earth is there for them to completely use for their gratification. Uh, So I wish the Pope was as great as that document is, if he had if he had reckoned with that, it would have been an even more powerful statement and would have had great implications for the for the for the issues we're dealing with now.
0: I'm I'm having I won't say flashbacks, but I'm but as you're speaking, I'm I'm recalling terminology that that was that was ingrained into me that was taught to me as a young man. And I remember hearing many times that that man had been given dominion over the animals, that man had been given dominion over the earth almost as a right. perceived to be a permission slip
2: That's right. That's you know? exactly the word that I'm that I I'm, I'm talking about that's exactly right Ryan and it is that sense of having Radical power over all things in nature, and that includes women, that includes even vulnerable men, that includes children, and it includes all of creation. So it's that very distorted relationship that patriarchy has with everyone else.
0: So Jamie, when you when help us understand a little bit more about Catholics for Choice, we're talking to Jamie sure. Manson, president of Catholics for Choice, and 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 I think that this was an interesting. I mean, I just essentially go to, to how the organization describes itself and the, the conversation about. Uh, You you describe it as the majority of Catholics, which I think is is interesting insight there for sure. Uh, The majority of Catholics, a voice um, that believe that the tradition supports one's rights to follow their conscience in matters of sexuality and reproductive health. Uh, How much of a disruptor is Catholics for choice perceived to be within the greater Catholic community, would you say?
2: a major disruptor, to be quite honest with you. Uh, in many ways, reproductive rights are, are the final taboo in the Catholic Church, even more than women priests, uh, because there's so much misunderstanding and misinformation, uh, and, and, and the bishops have approached this with such an absolutist, stigmatizing, uh, I won't even call it a theology, with, with certain convictions about the issue uh we we represent um, the, the fact is in the US 58% of catholics believe abortion should be uh, legal in all or more cases 68% do not want to see Roe overturned So why is that? And and why can't we have a voice in this conversation? Well, because the bishops use this very taboo morality where they shut down any possibility for conversation. At Catholics for Choice, we don't deny that abortion is a complex moral issue. What we ask is that, can we have a conversation about its moral complexities? We use conscience as one of our talking points because it is true in good Catholic theology that we do, uh, that we have this sense, this um, theology of the primacy of conscience, which says that individual conscience should always be the final arbiter in all moral decision-making. And that's not just for sex and sexuality. That's for all issues where you have to make a moral choice. So we use that. We also recognize that one of the beauties of Catholicism is its social justice theology. That's something Pope Francis talks about a lot. That's why he's moved so many people is his radical commitment to the poor and marginalized. And we see that the church's doctrines, particularly on contraception access in, in the poorest parts of the world or abortion access in the poorest parts of the world that these doctrines are life or death issues and are causes of great harm and sickness and death in in many cases.
0: Well, and I know, like, I mean, Jamie, geez, you know, we can talk about, you know, I know that so many people that have worked in, you know, with NGOs and, and specifically uh, people that I know personally that have done work in the Horn of Africa have had a really difficult time. Um, Staying calm uh, Around some of the policies around contraceptives I mean you know encouraging people to stay Away from condoms as An example in areas that have seen Their populations absolutely decimated By HIV and AIDS um, it's it's uh, you know I mean but hey we're getting into difficult ground aren't we now I mean this is real mm-hmm. talk you know when we start talking I mean you know I want to ask you about vaccinations I want to ask you sure. a- again about what Catholic leadership is saying about the vaccinations here but we know that many people and it's certainly not just Catholics will not get vaccinated I mean heck I have friends that won't take out a mortgage because they have religious beliefs against paying interest I mean people <laughs> have different religious wow. beliefs and, and who am I to step in front of a microphone and talk about someone's religious beliefs but I look at the policy around contraceptives uh, in Africa as a specific example, and it's really, really hard to reconcile as a human being.
2: It is. It is, especially since HIV and AIDS are still a pandemic, still a global pandemic, uh, and and condoms are one of the most life-saving ways that, that we can deal with this situation, and the church remains just obstinate about this. And again, this is a case where we have literally thousands tens of thousands of lives uh that that were what were cost as a result so we have to look at the human toll on all of these issues having to do with reproductive health and rights and you're right about you know who are we to 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 determine what people's religious beliefs are. The problem is, and we really have this in the United States right now, is we have bishops and and right-wing Catholics and Christians trying to make religious liberty claims in such a way that they are actually imposing their religious beliefs on everyone and taking away civil rights. And and that affects Catholics and non-Catholics alike. So yes, we have the right, the freedom uh, of religion, but we also have the right to be free of religion uh, and to be free of others' religious beliefs. And that's become a very gray area in the United United States.
0: We have uh, here in this province. It it wasn't too long ago that a former premier by the by the name of Ralph Klein uh, threatened to invoke the notwithstanding clause uh, if marriage equality became an issue that would confront Alberta in a in a way that would make Alberta uncomfortable. And I think that if you look at today's Alberta. I'm certainly not suggesting that that, uh, you know, all issues around uh, homophobia or discrimination or hate have been figured out. I'm certainly not suggesting that we're not without our warts, but the population has evolved. The population has has become to a certain degree enlightened and there has been progress made. Do you believe I mean, you talked about a pope that can heal wounds. Do you believe that? The catholic church can make progress on this i mean what's your message to, to gay lesbian trans bi catholics that are going to see this interview that are disheartened that are appalled that are disgusted that are hurt by yesterday's message
2: what i would say to them uh is that we we have to remember that in catholic theology we have a sacramental view of the world a sacramental imagination this is one of the things i love about the catholic tradition on my toughest days is that we have the sense that god is everywhere and god is working through all things and all experiences and all human relationships so It's not up to the church or anyone to say where God can and cannot be. And that's the root of so much pain for Catholics, is is a church that thinks that they can move, put God in certain boxes. And that's not even true to our theology at all. But the reality is that we do have sacramental relationships. We, we, We sacrifice for each other, we're generous to each other, we show compassion, we are faithful to each other, and that's what makes something sacred. So that's what I think is most wounding for me is that this is not even true to our deepest theology and our theological thinking. And that's my invitation to the hierarchy is to reckon with our sacramental theology when you try to make these judgments. Because the, Catholic, the, the Vatican is being very reductive right now about our theology and basing it really on genitalia. Uh, And and this very basic biological reality. And we know gender is even much more complex than the Vatican will admit right now. But it's so reductive of, of what is a very sophisticated, nuanced theology. And so, again, I'm inviting the church to to reckon with its deepest theology and listen to the lived experience of its people.
0: Lou is watching this morning. He tweets at me. He says people are born gay, but homophobia is a choice. Uh, let me ask you this. This is this is kind of a personal question from Troy. He says, what's keeping these people in the church? Why not just leave the church behind as a never religious? I wonder about this. Is it just the fear of hell keeping people in?
2: <laughs> uh, I like to think not that may be the case for some people. Certainly the church has had that kind of co- coercive power on people over the centuries. Uh, I can only speak for myself. And that is again, what I just said about that sacramental theology that gives my life meaning. That's what religion is supposed to do. Give our lives meaning, help us answer the big questions about where we come from. Why are we here? What's our purpose? Why do we suffer? Sacramental theology does that for me. So it's on my good days. On my bad days, I, I stay in and I struggle because again, I know the political Power of the church and, and the power it's having, uh, the harm its doctrines are creating globally, particularly for the poorest and the most vulnerable. So I feel an obligation to continue to struggle against that because you can't. It's a luxury to say we leave the church behind because the church has enormous political power over policy, governmental power. Uh, I wish you could walk away from it, but it, it impacts all of our lives, Catholic or non-Catholic, and particularly in the global South.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, then there's always, you know, the tradition I acknowledge it's not a Catholic tradition, the word I'm about to use, but but the idea of reform or of reformation as well. And I know a lot of people believe strongly in the the, uh, you know, the example or the deity or the the, the Mm -hmm. part of the theology. Uh, maybe not necessarily the expression of it through humanity I got really esoteric with a couple of buddies around a <laughs> campfire over the weekend talking about religion and versus spirituality I'd, I did a magazine interview uh, Jamie a short time ago The article's not out yet and I'm a little nervous to see where it goes because because they asked me They asked me are you reli- are you still religious having been raised in the tradition? Are you still religious? Are you still a Christian? Right. And I could and I, I sort of half expected to hear the cock crow three times <laughs> after I answered the journalist's question. But we started talking about religion as a, as, as a human manifestation or, or the physical expression of a spiritual reality or of a non-physical reality. And so you can mm-hmm. really start to get out there. When, and every person will probably have a different understanding of, uh, of what their faith means to them or what religion right. means to them. Right. I mean, you can't. Yeah. You and I can't right. proclaim this, and, and thus it is so.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, w- when I think about religion, I think about the Latin word for religion, which is really gare, which means a, a bonding, um, which basically it's it's a bond between a person and reality that confers meaning to their lives. So what your religion is what gives your life meaning and, and what ideas. And so for me, that's that sacramental theology I talked about. That's really ultimately what religion should be doing and not forcing people, uh, you know, to, to, to act in ways or deny them rights or deny them health care and things like that. And unfortunately, that's what religious groups are doing right now. And they're going to lose a lot of, they've already lost a lot of people. They're going to lose more uh, if this is how they're going to use the faith.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, um, although I'll also acknowledge that I don't think that that's going to be the metric by which they would decide whether or not, right? I mean, although this probably also does come down to, well, geez, do we want to get into talking about taxing the church? I know a lot of people want me to ask you about taxing (laughs) the church. I want to ask you about this story that Barb put on my radar. Barb's watching this morning. She sent me an email. She said, please ask Jamie Manson about this. The Wall Street Journal reporting uh, that at least two Catholic bishops in the States are advising parishioners to avoid yeah. certain COVID vaccines in particular, the Johnson mm-hmm. and Johnson vaccine. Uh, mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. the archdiocese of new Orleans, a statement advising that the vaccine is morally compromised as yeah. it uses the abortion derived cell line in development and production of the vaccine, as well as the testing. Um, right. How do you perceive uh, comments from the church on science medicine and, and most especially on vaccines in the middle of a pandemic?
2: Well, the first thing I'll say is that the Vatican has been aware for months uh, of of these vaccines, of the cell lines they were using, and they have said unequivocally that they are not morally compromised. So you have an example here of bishops going rogue, Mm. and it's funny when they choose to go rogue and not go rogue, um, (laughs) when it's a progressive issue, they won't. Uh, And it's problematic for a lot of reasons. It sows confusion uh and for for certainly for uh black communities who in the u.s are already very very suspicious of medicine for very justifiable reasons because their bodies have been used for medical experimentation against their will it's so suspicion particularly in in a place like new orleans where you have a very high percentage of black uh catholics so it's problematic there the real the biggest problem though is that These cell lines, which go back, the cell lines for Johnson & Johnson are from a a fetus from 1985. The cell line for for the uh, Pfizer goes back to 1964. These cell lines, which are immortalized cells, are used in... Every vaccine, they're used in treatments for AIDS. They're used in studies for treatments of Alzheimer's. You cannot begin to, to imagine how often we use these fetal cell lines in, in, in our research. So where does it stop? Where do they draw the line on this? Do we have to stop taking all of our medications now and take stop taking all of our vaccines? I just think that there's this is a setup for a sense of purity that is impossible, unattainable and and potentially harmful to our health. Uh,
0: In closing, um, Jamie, I'm so enjoying this conversation. I'm so grateful that you've been able to make time time for us. Um, I've seen a lot of comments from from viewers of ours, from listeners and then just from the general public in talking about this story. Uh, over the past 24 hours or so, people are saying, you know, the Catholic Church or churches in general have enjoyed a certain tax free status or charitable status in part because of the historical work they've done in education and health care, helping to administer social programs. Um, many will say that's that's generally speaking, not the case anymore, although I think we could probably hook in and talk about school boards and things like that. Many people are are, are asking whether or not an incident like this that would that would, for example, um, contravene the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms with regards to denying marriage equality to to citizens, that that should prompt a federal government to reconsider. Uh, a church's tax-free status now it's political suicide uh let's be very clear uh, or you would at least expend a lot of political capital and i don't think any government would deem it to be worthwhile but right. do you think that at least theoretically it's important that we start to have this conversation
2: I really do, uh, because at Catholics for Choice, one of the issues we deal with a lot is Catholic health care, and the fact that a lot of services, basic health care services, are denied to people in Catholic hospitals. Uh, not only contraception accessibility, but tubal ligations, um, even end of life care. You have to you have to abide by the bishops' directives, which can be quite draconian. So. There's so many instances in which we have hospitals taking billions of dollars in taxpayer money and not giving people the full full scope of services that they deserve. We see this right now even in, uh, we, there's a big case coming up in our Supreme Court where a Catholic foster care system uh, stopped allowing same-sex couples to adopt. So of course, this Catholic Church again, as they often do, are suing. Uh, Catholic Church spends a lot of time in our Supreme Court and they very often win Uh, because the city of philadelphia where this this foster home was said no you have to you cannot infringe on people's civil rights if you're giving we're giving you our government contract money you have to allow same-sex couples to to adopt churches in court about that again so there's a case of this is a real ramping up because this is a case of government funds going to a contractor and a contractor being able to not obey basic civil rights. So yes, I think it's time for that conversation.
0: Does it change anything with regards to you and your advocacy, uh, your your impression or your approach to any of these issues? To have a Catholic in the White House now.
2: It's massive for us in particular, because he is the first unequivocally pro-choice Catholic president. Mm. He absolutely supports same-sex marriage. He did before Obama, in fact, when he was vice president, uh, supports uh, reproductive health care and contraception. So it is it's, it's massive for us because we're really seeing on a grand scale uh, what a practicing faithful Catholic, which Biden is. Uh, what that looks like to have to have this this very faithful, devoted Catholic who also takes these positions on, on sexuality and reproductive health care. We're seeing it in on on. on on a grand scale and I think the bishops are very very nervous about it but it's an exciting opportunity for us to to reframe these issues of reproductive health care and lgbt inclusion as social justice issues which are issues the catholic church does well on and I think that's why mr biden is so good on these issues and so progressive it's precisely because of his catholic faith not because uh he's a bad catholic yeah Uh, he's the first president in a long time that goes to church really and he goes every sunday to mass if not more so it, it's an incredible opportunity.
0: Yeah, uh, that was a great question from Yvonne as sent in to talk at Ryan dot com. Jamie Manson is uh, the president of Catholics for Choice uh, for years, a columnist at the National Catholic Reporter, uh, where Jamie was one of the few openly uh, LGBTQ journalists in the Catholic media community uh, including around the world uh, Jamie a real pleasure thanks for thanks for, for pushing our parameters thanks for making us think thanks for speaking candidly um, we've really uh, become enriched by this today.
2: Thank you, Ryan. I've been enriched, too. I had wonderful questions, and this has really been a joy to talk with you.
0: There you go, Jamie Manson. Make sure you follow Jamie on Twitter, and you can also find Catholics for Choice online, obviously, every morning uh, from my Twitter account at Ryan Jesperson, um, and uh, on my Instagram as well, my Instagram story. We let you know the guests that are going to be joining us on the show each and every day. We're not messing around today. I appreciate this conversation. I appreciate that real talkers are along with us. I haven't seen the specific details of it. I've seen that there have been some some ripples in the pond uh, on our live chat, which is totally okay, as long as it's respectful. People are going to feel differently about this type of stuff. But I mean, imagine if you're a practicing Catholic, you're going to approach this differently than, than an Anglican or an agnostic or, or somebody that doesn't even know what an agnostic is. Everyone's going to have their own views, their own opinions on this type of stuff, and, and we welcome the dialogue. That's the whole point of being here. You know McBain Camera has been serving Alberta's photography community since 1949. You can shop safely right now at one of their convenient Alberta locations or chat live with one of their team members at mcbaincamera.com. They would love to talk to you about the Panasonic DC-G9 camera. The the G9 from Panasonic this is known for its speed it can lock focus in a fraction of a second shoots up to 20 frames a second you know your your, your daughter's playing soccer outside and just you're gonna get a great shot no matter what it has that five axis image stabilization as well so your photos are sharp even if you're shooting without a tripod even if you're shooting with a long lens and if you order the panasonic g9 at mcbanecamera.com today use the promo code real one word RealTalk, and they're going to hook you up with a free spare battery at mcbanecamera.com also wanted to let you know how excited i am to be hosting the three minute thesis competition at the university of alberta that's right the 3mt beginning on march 29th you can vote for your favorite presenter in the people's choice award go to uab that's university of alberta uab.ca slash 3mt uab.ca slash 3mt april 1st is the event you can watch it live as we learn what u of a graduate students are doing interesting people doing interesting things you know there's a group eight thousand students strong these are not the undergrad students these are researchers they're doing an amazing job the u of a's faculty of graduate studies and research proud to host this contest again uab.ca slash 3mt Samuel G. Brooks, I see that being something that you could get very excited about. On Friday, April second, we're going to be bringing in the People's Choice winner, the first place winner, and the second place winner from that three MT competition. Because
1: you've been you've been pitching that you've been yeah. you're you chosen to host this thing, and that it's going to be you know this. And I mean, yes, nerdy pitch competitions are uh, are my jam. I'll be all over and this. And you know the so, best part yeah. about
0: it is is people can like oftentimes. Um, and please don't anybody take this personally, but people that are brilliant sometimes can have a difficult time communicating their brilliance. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Right. Like yes. innovators, researchers, developers, inventors, if we want to say, aren't always able to Nail the elevator pitch They're not able Necessarily to sell Their invention In so many ways As they are to develop it Not everybody But some
1: Yeah I mean like Scientific and technical Communication is an Entire industry For a reason You know what I mean It's like You need People that can uh, Interpret uh, stuff that is cutting edge research and and put it into layperson terms so that it's 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 exciting and it's sexy and it's sellable and it gets people you know gets people fired up about it right it's like that's that's what good good sort of technological communication is all about
0: yeah Travis writes in by the way says twenty frames per second is that a joke what do you mean is that a joke twenty frames a second twenty frames burst yeah that's what mirrorless can do baby yeah twenty frames a second with the Panasonic lumix g9 camera McBain camera so there you go travis go check it out my man go check it out they can do the live chat on the website all that kind of stuff we have to talk about the bigfoot family film <laughs> you knew it was coming you knew it was coming at some point real talkers let's get the live chat going let's get this uh let's get the real talk rj hashtag going i have to ask i have to i have to determine we have to figure out how everybody's feeling about the fact not the film itself Which was fading into obscurity on Netflix right up until the point that Alberta's multi-million dollar war room took it on and decided to pick a fight with a children's cartoon, but the animated film Bigfoot Family uh, is now trending in the top 10 in Canada on Netflix because the Canadian Energy Center Has taken it on as the Guardian reports out of London, England, a government-funded lobbying group. They are making international headlines. A government-funded lobbying group has targeted the movie, a fantasy epic featuring a human family whose father is Bigfoot on the ground that it peddles lies about the oil and gas industry. Uh, The storyline centers on an energy company's nefarious scheme to detonate a bomb in a pristine Alaska Valley to flood it with crude oil. Although the film is set in the US, I'm referring to the Guardian's reporting here. The Canadian Energy Center, funded by the province of Alberta, has launched a campaign against the movie, which it says brainwashes children with anti-oil and gas propaganda. Said the Canadian Energy Center in a release, our children are the key to the future, but they can't succeed if they're filled with misinformation. The war room claiming more than 1,000 people have already emailed Netflix over the film Netflix. Netflix. Has not returned a request for comments, so we're fighting with children's cartoons now I'm surprised though that we've not found another government body that has taken on the fact that and I don't want to spoil this for anybody so earmuffs kids Bigfoot's not real <laughs> if we're if we're combating whoa whoa whoa, 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 <laughs> hang, whoa on a, hang, hang on on a second if we're combating misinformation. Should we start with the fact that Bigfoot is not real and does not have a human family? Should we start there? Because if we're going to combat misinformation, I might rather have my child believe that energy companies would consider anything to harvest natural resources over the fact that Bigfoot's running around copulating with human women and having families. That's that's the part that I'm more concerned about. I also learned yesterday, uh, and people can do digging on this. Uh, you know, I, I would recommend you go online and you can simply Google Alberta nuclear 1950s oil. Alberta was considering back in the 1950s. Detonating nuclear this is not a joke Not a joke to and I'm going to use Layperson's terms because I don't have the scientific Report in front of me but they kind of wanted to You know loosen up the oil a little Bit loosen up the bitumen a little bit, Whatever it was I, I, I mean that's effectively What fracking is yeah well, so we we're uh, Just going mean, to do it but not on a Nuclear <laughs> no. step <stand>, but, but, <laughs> but 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 in all seriousness and and Then and then as the world um, Adopted this this was it so It's, it's, co- it's called project oil sand And it was a 1958 proposal. Um, This was first theorized by uh, a fellow by the name of Manly Natland, which is an amazing name, by the way. Uh, it's, It's a great that would be a great hockey name manly natland you know bursting up the wing mcdavid to natland manly natland top shelf over you know I yeah, mean, yeah, I could, yeah, a great yep. great name um the, the use of nuclear weapons for oil and gas extraction first theorized by geologist matley natland in 1956 and he was working in the southern desert of saudi arabia and contemplated using the immense heat of a nuclear explosion while watching the sunset. And government officials at the time, the mid-1960s, mid-1950s, rather, were were looking to find peaceful uses for atomic energy. And with Alberta's social credit government, um, under Premier Ernest Manning, an investigative committee was formed, and one of the early recommendations was (laughs) rename the project. We've been aware of this in Alberta for years. It's, It's why the Alberta government used to refer to the oil sands as the tar sands. That, that was what the government called it. That Correct. was what it was called until it became a marketing liability. And now those detractors... Uh, Those that would fight for the closure or the dialing the scaling back or or perhaps stopping expansion of the oil sands You'll often see them refer to them as the tar sands And if you're in Western Canada, you probably if you're an advocate for oil and gas traditional uh, energy sources You probably perceive someone to be an enemy of the cause if they invoke the phrase tar sands but
1: yeah, I'd say so. Used I to be called think, the tar sands, right? I think it's a bit regional, too. Like, it, it, pretty much everyone in Alberta kind of subscribed to the term oil sands. I remember when I lived in other parts of the country, it was tar sands across the board. I mean, the funny thing is, is just like, I think the term is irrelevant. We have this region of land with oil mixed with sands. Call it whatever you want.
0: That's what we have in northern Alberta. But the word tar, it it invokes people people think of roofing jobs and they think of sticky and grimy. What do you think the,
1: bitumen is?
0: Well, Sam, yeah, but 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 Sam, don't inconvenience the argument with your facts. <laughs> Sam bringing bring science in to confuse the argument and make the marketing more difficult so here's why i'm bringing up oil sands versus tar sands so the investigative committee with alberta's so government at the time the first thing they decided was you got to rename the project because it originally it originally actually had a great name it was originally called project cauldron that's fantastic project cauldron This is was was a 1958 proposal to exploit the Athabasca oil sands in Alberta via the underground detonation of up to 100 nuclear explosives. So they renamed it. They renamed it Project Oil Sand, which is not even nearly as cool. If you ask me, Project Cauldron is way cooler, way cooler.
1: I mean, it evokes like the Manhattan Project. You know what I mean? It's like when you hear something called Project Cauldron, it's like this is top secret highly
0: sophisticated government stuff (laughs) so but here's the thing the thing is is that governments have literally considered detonating nuclear explosives uh and and the the belief was that the heat and pressure created by underground detonation would boil the bitumen deposits reduce their viscosity to the point that standard oil field techniques could be used. In other words, I assume that they could drill it as opposed to, you know, develop the you know billions and billions of dollars worth of research and technology into the oil sands. So so there is a bit of an actual history here, um, not that it's currently being done, but to bring this back to the Bigfoot family film, you just have to be one, you know, you have to wonder if this is the type of thing that even proponents of the war room, proponents of the Canadian Energy Center. If if there are any aside from the people that are working there making 200 grand a year. If anybody else believes that the Canadian Energy Center is a good idea, you must admit. You have to admit that this is not the type of thing that you envisioned. You didn't think that the province of Alberta would have the eyes of the world on it in the New York Times and the Guardian and the Financial Post and all the big outlets because we're fighting a netflix cartoon what has this is not a trick question but i don't want it to be a rhetorical question let's attempt to answer what has the canadian energy center notched as a win to this point what has it notched as a win What has it won where is it proven or where is it delivered return on investment can you think of I mean, I'm putting you on the spot, but can you think of one? I mean, I'll put the question out open. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on our live chat. I'm checking. I've got my email inbox open right now. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. What is one? Even if it's even if it's a piddly, even if it's a tiny little, even if it's a minute win. All right, I'll give
1: you one. Okay. After three tries, they managed to get a logo that oh, wasn't plagiarized. Sam.
0: Okay. Okay. If you give me $30 million a year, and now I think the budget's been, there's been some creative accounting, and, and I think the budget's down this year, and I think $12 million or so, because, well, obviously. Uh, if you give me $12, i will tell you what. You shoot me $12 million. I'll do it for 10 You You give me a $10 million sole-sourced contract, and I will get, not only will I get you an original logo, but I'll also promise at least one win in the first six months. What will it be? I don't know. But I'm not going to fight Netflix. I know that. That's not going to be the first fight I'm going to pick. Is a kids' film on Netflix. I mean, the thing is, it's funny, but it's not funny, right? It's funny, but it's it's maddening because people see Alberta as a. Put it this way, people are unable to tell. You know the 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 uh, comedy outlet, the Beaverton the satire yes right this is not it's not a news outlet it's satire but the the beaverton is kind of like the onion and they, they tell pretty hilarious stories and they've got lots of material a lot of their work is about alberta and you have to double check these days whether or not the news stories are true and accurate or beaverton stories and in many cases the venn diagram is a perfect circle Am I
1: wrong <laughs> no, you're not wrong. I, I was thinking when you when you were first teeing up this segment and you were reading um, The statement as I believe quoted by the Guardian that the war room put out I literally thought is like do they have the Beaverton's copywriters working on this because that's basically how
0: it like it's so Ridiculous Scott says you have to laugh at the war room to stop yourself from crying. Yeah, Colette Colette You know what I've noticed Let me give Colette a little shout out here Colette from I noticed She's got these great questions That pop up from time to time Because she She kind of like Sees through the The veneer of an issue And goes wham And I like this from Colette Thanks for showing up this morning Colette to watch She says Oh yeah I wonder if Netflix Is going to be rushing To make films in Alberta now like these are the types of things, too, where you go, well, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're probably going to say, well, there's production houses and it doesn't exactly work that way. And they still will make films here because it's based on dollars and cents and all these types of things. But but it's the same thing as having a government, a provincial government that says, you um, investment is flocking here we're going to we're going to bring in international event investors from around the world and we're also suing the federal government about the carbon tax and holding a referendum on equalization and there's a separation in alberta independence movement brewing underneath our feet these are the types of conflicting messages that that corporations look at that people look at that, that young professionals look at and considering where they're going to move and work and raise their families these are the types of things that do resonate and if i'm a filmmaker Or if I'm Netflix, I'm not sure I'm going to the jurisdiction that is literally picking fights with kids cartoons
1: No, of course not and and like by the way Alberta was actually a pretty attractive place to make films Basically up until, well, basically up until the Kenny government, I gotta say, we had a very good system of tax credits. We have, uh, particularly in Calgary, there's a thriving film industry. It's not as big as Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal, but it's a real hub. You know, one of the things that you kind of uh, love in the film community in Edmonton is that, you know, an hour drive from Calgary, Alberta can literally look like anywhere. There's so much variety of landscape and, and spaces to shoot around there that that's part of the reason why Calgary is such an attractive film hub is that it's got like all this stuff teed up. And what does this government do? Well, they start by cutting all of the incentives to filmmaking in Alberta, and then they attack Netflix, which is probably one of the biggest buyers of original content in the world now. So it's more... More evidence that there is a firm belief that there is only one type of good investment in this province.
0: I love our real talkers that right now live are de- are debating and talking about fracking and D, and we've got a we've got a smart audience that joins us in community every morning. Um, you know, this is <laughs> this is interesting. From crazy fast Eddie says anybody who's worked with de- bitumen or had to clean it up knows that tar sands is a more accurate description. Um, Scott wonders, does anybody know how I can get a job at the war room? Um, yeah, I mean, volunteer on a campaign, knock on doors, you know, have have your parents make a donation to the local candidate. Um, what are you talking about? They're not connected to government. No, they're a separate at, corporation. Not at all. Um, Les, uh, Les Landry, well known to this audience, says, you know, the real sick part is that people on AISH, are the ones paying for the war room through de-indexing AISH, taking AISH off the rate of inflation. Troy says, I'm trying to find wins. I'm trying to find a win for the war rooms. Troy says, maybe siphoning public money into private hands? Maybe. Um, David says they're great at getting bad media. Um, Heidi says they're bringing Albertans together in their disdain for the war room. They're great at providing endless material for the Beaverton to work with. I honestly can't imagine working in a place that just gets smacked down every single time. It's like playing for the Washington Generals. Is everybody familiar with the Harlem Globetrotters? Everybody familiar that when the Harlem Globetrotters travel from city to city, they travel with a team that it's like, I don't want to ruin anybody's day here. If there's any, if there are any fans of professional wrestling, um, I apologize earmuffs on for a second but but it's like that moment when you when you realize that that pro wrestling's not real that it's scripted I mean it's real they are jumping up from huge things and hurting their bodies and doing all that kind it's of stuff choreographed but it's choreographed and it's scripted. they're doing a dance as a young man I, I I often wondered what might it be like to play for the Washington generals? Of course, not knowing at that young age, the the generals were quite aware that they were going to lose the game every time. But but it would be like playing for the generals every night. What do you when you show up, you know, at the Canadian Energy Center for work every morning? Like, what do they talk about around the water cooler? Like, hey, Larry, like, you know, what's your idea today for advancing the interests of the Alberta economy and the Canadian energy sector? Well, you know, Missy and I last night, she's four and, um, you know, gave her a lollipop and we sat down in front of Netflix and I was watching this cartoon about a Sasquatch who is married to a, a human and they have a little boy. And I was thinking uh, th- that's not the part that that's not the inaccuracy, though, Bob. It's it's the next part. <laughs> it's not the fact that the Sasquatch has a family and a son. It's the part about they're thinking of actually using uh, nuclear bombs, detonating them to free up the oil. And then Bob's like, yeah, d- can you believe? Because Bob knows, he he works at the Canadian Energy Energy Center, right? So Bob's like, can you believe that in the 1950s we were thinking about doing that? Larry's like, no, 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 that's not the thing. Here's the thing. I figure if we pick a high-profile fight with Netflix, who released this children's cartoon, that maybe what it'll do, because the French energy giant Total wrote off its oil sands assets last year. And I think that if we can notch a win against Netflix... And if we can notch a win fighting the kids' cartoon, I think that Total and and BP and maybe maybe like uh, Warren Buffett and BlackRock uh, and I think all these they might start coming back if we can beat Netflix on the kids' cartoon about the Sasquatch. That makes sense.
1: Your and your so logic they, is flawless.
0: So they so they leave the water cooler and they get to work and then right before they hit send, like they're about to hit send and post it and there's and there's like they, I wonder if they look around and say, is there anybody in the room? that for any reason can, 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 can find an angle where this might be a bad thing. Is there anybody in the room right now? Is there any angle on this that might make us look foolish? Because we're sensitive right now, guys. I don't need to remind you that we've blown it Two fake logos. We said we hired a design firm, which proved to not really be a real design firm. And they had their office dog posted the photo on the website. And it turned out that the dog wasn't even really their dog. And who lies about a dog? And then like, you guys know that we can't, we can't wind up with more egg on our face. And every single one of them looked at it and said, looks good to me hit send and then what happens when they hit send like you know when you put something out there and you know whether whether it's like your photo of your newborn baby or whether it's your hot take on the uh, alberta curriculum you post it and then you wait you wait to see how people will respond how many likes how many comments and what's it like when you work at the war room and and you, you realize very quickly that the fight that you've picked against the cartoon about the Sasquatch is not working out in your favor. And that once again, you're the butt of jokes and they're going to be talking about you on real talk. I mean, what's it like to what's it like to work there?
1: I need to also point out to everybody and, and I read them and laughed. The Canadian Energy Center sends us press releases. We hear from them all
0: the time either they or somebody else yeah <laughs> signed us up to be on the mailing list Yeah, so just I'm gonna put that out there Which right there I will also say and I hate to give anybody ideas But that's nothing new when you work in broadcasting and you want to be accessible when you're a man of the people uh, And you give people your email address there are jokesters out there you wise guys uh, that will sign you up for mailing lists. So yep. there's nothing new there. I've been signed up for for mailing lists of of of, of many interesting uh, and I and I have no problem unsubscribing either. Uh, Trevor says, you know, Premier Kenny wants to be taken as serious in his threats to sue the U.S. government over Keystone XL, and yet everybody sees him and his government by way of their war room put out these you know these positions on cartoons and streaming services, right? I mean that's that's that same idea. Troy says Troy says to be serious though all this bumbling is just misdirection. As long as we're all talking about this stuff, we're not talking about the pure thievery of the war room. I do think it's worth pointing out that for a lot of people, there there is the understanding that the exercise of the war room it's it's actually finding ways to divert public funds to private interests and to partisan interests. So every time that you you know go on the website and sign up or sign the or use the email form you're submitting your personal information and your contact information and this is used to build things like email lists and voting blocks and all these types of things so i mean we can sit and talk and get serious for a second of uh, about as, as what this listener says is the pure thievery of the canadian energy center of the war room um i think it's something that years like we'll look back this is amazing. I'm sure that, Sam, you've participated in these conversations before, too. If you talk to people about Ralph Bucks, people that were living in Alberta when Ralph Klein sent out the prosperity checks, most Albertans that were there, at least this has been my experience, most Albertans are able to tell you specifically what they spent the 400 bucks on. Yeah.
1: I remember I was in grade eight when they came out, and I uh, we had a, we had an English assignment to give a speech, and I gave a rousing speech about how stupid they are. <laughs>
0: You thought the, that the government should invest them in yeah,
1: uh, I was just kind of like basically You know again little little grade 8 Sam was just kind of like yeah We're gutting our education system, but giving everybody $400 does this make any sense
0: did your classmates want you to shut up because they Wanted the 400 bucks probably uh, Grade 8 mixed I would say They're yeah like Sam we're trying to get a PS What would it be PS1 at that time probably PS2, PS2 at a that PS2. time. PS2 Sam yeah. I'm about to be able to buy a PS2 <laughs> You mind cutting it off with all the whole like funding, like adequately funding education? You mind like, again, inconveniencing us, Sam, with your hot takes on things like <laughs> adequately funding education? Jeez, you know, which kid's going to get his hand on a PS2 if we're adequately funding education? But my point is in bringing up the prosperity checks is everybody still remembers. And this government and this premier will be remembered for many things. And one of them will be the Canadian Energy Center. And people are going to figure out, people are going to dig up and figure out more of where the money's been going and how the decisions have been made and and the farce that this whole thing is. But I just can't, I just can't believe, or maybe I can, uh, I can't believe what I'm seeing here with the fight with Netflix. We're going to get to your emails in just a second. Wanted to remind you right now that there's never been a better time to consider making the dream around your outdoor space a reality. You're not going to Europe next month. You're probably not taking the family to Hawaii in a couple weeks, but maybe you've got the budget there. Maybe you've got the savings there. Maybe there's that one thing that's been standing in the way of, of you envisioning that beautiful gazebo over your outdoor cooking area, or maybe that swim spa you've always dreamed of. You work hard, you work hard, you deserve it. The team at Eden Landscaping, <laughs> I'm an enabler, Sam. The team at Eden Landscaping for more than 20 years has been turning these dreams into reality. They design and they build, which means it's a one-stop shop. You can check out the work they do at landscapeedmonton.ca. Now's a perfect time to get in touch, get everything drafted up, and then you're ready to go. As soon as the ground's ready to go, their t- crews are ready to go, and then the next thing you know, this summer, there it is. Every time you look through your kitchen window, you've got, like Sam, you're Pergola, you fancy pants. At landscapeedmonton.ca. Also a shout out to the team at Clean Air Club at cleanairclub.ca. When's the last time you changed your furnace filter? I was traumatized by your talk yesterday. About your dog bed right next to the cold air cold air intake. Yeah. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I wanted <laughs> I ju- to I just
1: noticed one day there was like a little, you know, sort of tuft of hair on the grate going into it and i was kind of like oh maybe not the best place but these are the things we
0: never think of yeah like i looked under our bed the other day and i was like oh boy i mean dust bunnies and then what they say about how bunnies multiply that was the case under our bed Mm -hmm. i don't mean to gross you out everybody but all of these things are going in through our vents and they're getting caught up in our furnace filters you need to change them your family can save money and breathe easier with door-to-door service delivery at cleanairclub.ca You notice that we haven't been reading uh, listener emails for a few days now because we've had a lot to talk about. And I've had some people chime in and say, hey, I I was wondering if you were considering maybe reading some of our takes. And we said Tuesday it is Tuesday morning. This one from Charlie caught our attention. This was a uh, an email we received shortly after our conversation around whether or not universities, university campuses are biased against conservatives. This was a roundtable panel that we had on Thursday. And Charlie wrote in to say, you know, I did in the early stages of that segment on Real Talk feel that I might be living in an alternate universe. I mean, imagine replacing universities with, let's say, the engineering profession of the not so distant past and replacing conservatives with women and then replay the segment. You know, it would be very jarring Uh, At one point, at one point, Dr. Jared Wesley said, and I paraphrase, where are the conservatives? I don't see them. This is not a gatekeeping issue. Charlie says maybe conservatives shy away from universities for the same reason that women used to shy away from engineering more than they do today, because even though there was no explicit rule barring them from entering the profession, they surely were not made to feel welcome. And back then, says Charlie, us progressives, you know, we would say. That's not right. You need to do better. Yet here, progressives seem to be saying, problem? What problem? It's just natural that group X is not drawn to Y surroundings. Charlie says in defense of Dr. Wesley, he was able to add nuance to his position as the segment continued. And by the end, I thought that all the guests had made good points. And overall, it was a great segment. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate that. You, we got a, We got a whole bunch of emails after that. That letter from mr. Dad you remember this one yes I do this is great a guy was talking about um, his experience staying home during a pandemic and unfortunately very tough circumstances his wife uh, had experienced uh, what he described as as a debilitating mental health event a postpartum and uh, mr. Dad as he signed off let us know about you know how his life had been challenged and enriched by staying home and working with his employer to try to find a way to make it all happen, I wanted to read a couple responses to that letter. Jerry wrote in and said, "You know, something that that I think could help facilitate Mister Dad's dream of choice in childcare would be a UBI, a universal basic income. If every adult got an extra, I don't know, thousand bucks a month, we'd have so much more choice in child rearing." Uh, child rearing uh, Jerry says many partners I know have given up jobs because of the cost of childcare negates their income. Jerry, so true. You see what some people pay for childcare? Like I've spoken with friends of mine. I know it's kind of a rude question, but sometimes you just have to get to the point so you can know what you're talking about to a certain degree. Some families are paying like massive mortgage payments. On child care like you you wonder how much Is the parent making to be out Of the home to be able to afford that child Care and then is it even worth it it's it, I know yeah. we ignore a lot of factors here but
1: No and it's 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 probably A situation that as someone that doesn't yet have Children I'm like kind of entirely Blind to what child care Actually costs but I know that it varies All over the map and it's not Standardized and there's like you know There's some serious serious holes in
0: this System put it put it this way and 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 uh you know let me say that it, in the absence of, for example, a $25 a day pilot program or something like that, and, and parents, I'd love to hear from you on the live chat, or you can hit us up on Twitter right now, Real Talk RJ is the hashtag that we keep an eye on, uh, powered by Park Power. Um, let us know what you're paying for childcare costs. You know, if someone says that they're paying six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month, you go, oh, that's great. Like, that's great. I would say the average person probably and it depends like how many days a week and how many hours and there's all, you know, where it is, what city it's in, whether or not it's sort of a day home setup or whether it's, an, you know, a sort of a, a licensed child care facility. But it's not unusual to hear people with two kids in care paying twenty five hundred bucks a month. I mean. That's a mortgage, that's a monthly mortgage on a half a million dollar house right there. I was about to say that is more than my
1: mortgage payments. It's like quite a bit more than my mortgage payments.
0: So Jerry goes on to say, after you know, the cost of childcare has prompted so many people to give up on jobs because it just negates their income. There's a lot of nuance to this, says Jerry, but the reality now is the restriction of choice for so many adults. Pay to work or don't get paid to stay home and arguably work way harder. It's not ideal, nor is it sustainable, says Jerry, who signs off. Much love to the Real Talk fam. I love it. Thanks, Jerry. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Heidi Bergstrom chiming in on the live chat as I as I I hold Heidi's email in my hand I thought she was just
1: in because we were talking about childcare well
0: she uh, you know Heidi when I got her email I wrote her back personally and I said you know I'm going to read this but Heidi was on the show you remember with Ann Castleman it was kind of an accidental panel as a matter of fact fantastic because Heidi was to be on first to remind everybody this this was early in our show this was probably like first few weeks yeah Heidi is an accountant And she's a mom, and so she's got a great perspective on on family budgets and real life, and also on dollars and cents and bottom lines and investments. And so it's great to see Heidi chiming in. Well, Um, and you
1: buried the lead. She also launched a massive petition to get childcare funding as well. Yeah,
0: I don't know if I'm burying the lead. I'm providing context of who she is. Yeah, but uh, Heidi says that she pays eighteen hundred bucks for two kids. Heather says, I always find it so weird that childcare is so expensive when childcare workers are on average making like 35 grand a year. Tracy says, I was just quoted 2500 bucks a month for one kid full time care, a three year old, uh, and two kids after school care, grade one and three. Uh, M. Robbins says, 1500 bucks a month for two, had to pay 2200 a month for three when school shut down. Wally's paying 900 bucks a month for one kid in half time daycare says I'm just going to stay home until he's in full-time school. Allison is paying 2100 bucks a month for full-time care. 2100 bucks a month. Like if you have a pretty good job, 2100 bucks is one of your paychecks. Yeah. With a pretty good job.
1: Oh yeah. No, right? I, every time you throw these figures out, I the only thing that I can kind of say in my head is just like thank God I don't have that expense yet.
0: Yeah. Christina says, I couldn't ha-
1: make that work.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, right? I know. Yeah. I mean, Christina says nearly half of my after tax income went to childcare. Okay. So let's get to Heidi's email. Um, the subject line stay at home parent versus childcare. <laughs> she opens, she says, Ryan, you knew this was gonna happen, so here it is. <laughs> says hi, says Heidi, I don't think I need to get into a full debate about why I advocate for affordable childcare. I've had the opportunity to do so already on Real Talk alongside Ann Castleman and, and and later with MLA Racky Pancholi, which was a great conversation too. Heidi says the reasoning is already out there on your podcast, so people can look it up. I only want to send this email to make it clear. That my advocacy for affordable child care does not mean that I look down on the decision to be a stay at home parent. I respect that fully. It's a tough job and a very rewarding job. And I fight for affordable child care so that it is truly a choice to be a stay at home parent and not a decision they're forced into because they can't afford child care fees. She nails it. She says, I'd also like Mr. Dad, the author of that email, to consider the fact that for me, stay at home parents are absolutely included in my affordable childcare advocacy because it makes part time options more accessible. Heidi says right now my child care costs about 40 bucks a day per kid. If I were to put them in on a part-time basis, it would be 55 bucks a day per kid. This is of course so that early learning and child care providers can make their center financially viable while juggling schedules. If child care is capped at 25 bucks a day per kid, it's more accessible for a stay-at-home parent to use these services on a part-time basis, maybe even just a few days a month, to give kids a chance to socialize, to learn from trained professionals. And to give the parent a chance to run errands and go to appointments unencumbered so true Like maybe a pedicure Maybe a latte that's not cold by the time you get to it Maybe just a walk in the river valley We love our kids but having a moment to breathe So important you got me thinking about pedicures Are you a pedicure guy? Oh yes 100% Heidi says, I did find myself getting a little heated, to be honest, at Mr. Dad's implication that stay at home parents are at odds with affordable child care advocacy. But I suppose that just means I need to be more clear in my messaging. And I hope that Mr. Dad can see that that we're not opposed to one another and that we can certainly agree on the love that we have for our kids. Signed, Heidi, eternally grateful to have been a guest on your show, Bergstrom. I'm a big fan of Heidi's work and her advocacy. So thanks for that. I love that. Yeah, just because you are you advocate for one thing does not make you an enemy of another. We've talked about this on the show many, many times. Yeah, I,
1: I think Heidi's spot on. Um, a robust, affordable childcare system does not negate parents that want to be at home with their children. Like one doesn't, doesn't disenfranchise the other one. And and quite frankly, I don't think that was ever Mr. Dad's thesis. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think he was just saying, you know, there are some parents that that want this experience and, and accommodations need to be made for, for that. I mean, as pointed out earlier in this, you know, I mean, there are no silver bullets, but a UBI is the type of program that would go leaps and bounds further than... Anything else we can kind of piecemeal Together yeah that could make this type of Thing a reality yeah
0: we are working by the way Of course on our on our long working list uh, On a panel that will That will take on a universal basic income Ooh. Yeah um, We got a lot of comments After our family law Segment which was How do I say this can I say it a little Dry but very informative Like let's, was... let's just acknowledge it was a little Dry you're talking about family law You know custody divorce court um, issues I don't I, I'm, I'm oh, geez out of context this statement, you know domestic violence Jesperson calls talk about domestic violence dry. You know what I'm saying? We were it, talking about the law and the application of the law, but it was very informative
1: but yeah, it was you know I, I think after we did that is because I remember like going through the highlights and like there was nothing Punchy and standout and, and and you know looking for sort of like quick hits that I could get out of that clip But it was very long thoughtful well-composed arguments which I think is kind of what happens when you interview, you know, two people that are not only just lawyers but lawyers that have, you know, sort of like a, a social good bend to their work as well. They're not going to come out fiery. They're going to come out reasoned and measured and give very thoughtful arguments. So, yeah, it was it was incredibly informative, albeit a bit
3: slow.
0: Yeah. It just was what it was. We're talking about the law. Um, Anne Marie was prompted to write in uh, almost immediately after that segment said, uh, Ryan and Sam, I feel like I'm emailing you daily, but the episodes are just so great and important. And I want to share how relevant they are to my life. Anne, don't ever stop emailing us. We love hearing from every single one of you. Says the episode last Tuesday, the family law panel was really relevant to us as my husband's divorced and, and he went through that family law process for five years from 2011 to 2016 and we're still dealing with court orders and changing support payments and his ex-wife wanted to move away with the kids so my husband protested he's the most loving devoted father i've ever known and and this is actually the trait that i found most attractive with him when we met in 2012 his ex-wife went so far as to state under oath that my husband's been diagnosed bipolar he's not he's not been diagnosed with any mental health challenge and claimed that shared parenting therefore should not be an option he was advised to you know, by a lawyer to hire a psychologist so that he could prove that he was mentally fit. This is just one example out of many of my husband having to jump through hoops to be considered an equal parent in the eye of the courts. We did experience parental alienation, and the result is a very damaged relationship with his now 16-year-old. We have a wonderful relationship with the younger two. We've had a week on week off parenting arrangement with the younger two for for the last five years, but it was a lengthy and expensive and extremely stressful battle to get to where we are now. And I understand why people walk away from the process and just hope that their kids will come back to them later in life. We had a male friend die by suicide when he was alienated from his kids and navigating the family law courts. Maybe the application of family law is fair and balanced and just, but that was not our experience. Anne-Marie says, I don't think that my husband's ex is a bad person. She is not a bad mother. I think that family law is set up in such a way that she felt entitled to behave this way. I think society encourages it in many ways, but I do think that things are changing. This experience was full of life lessons and has opened my eyes to the unique challenges that men face. And I wanted to thank you for taking on that subject matter. That from Anne-Marie. I thought that was excellent. And I wanted to read this from Paolo, who just talks about the show. Just says, I've never written into any show before, but I felt like I should today. I really am enjoying the Real Talk podcast, and, and, and I am oftentimes one of those that tries to actually watch or listen live. It says, ever since my good friend told me about the show a couple of episodes in, I've been hooked, and I even circled back to listen to the first two that I missed. The favorite parts for me from the show are sometimes when you and Sam are just shooting the shit on whatever. I love it when you know the intros and all the time after the guests go into overtime, and, and I hope that there's more of that. The chemistry that you have with Sam comes through. I love his takes, too thanks buddy says i know that you've you know read an email about people that that even like the advertisements on the shows and it's true the passion you have for your sponsors the products comes through and we notice i couldn't wait to get to friesen brothers says paolo tell friesen brothers that he says you know the the great conversations the topics that you feature on real talk have impacted me positively and i just wanted you and other real talkers to know it i wanted you to know that you know whether or not you get frustrated you know From the quality of guests and conversations, it's obviously apparent that a lot of effort's going into this, and I wanted to say thank you. Not only has the show given me many difficult perspectives to chew on, it's providing a platform for underrepresented voices to be heard, and it's led to meaningful change in several controversies, including with Alberta's United Conservative government, but it's also helped me, says Paulo, immensely during COVID times. It's a show to look forward to, and it's helped me deal with being recently unemployed again. In my oil patch related work. It's the second time since COVID hit. Paulo says the only criticism I have, and it could be just my memory, is that I always thought on the old trash talks that you also had your own to throw into the mix. And I always really liked your trash talk, Ryan. If I may ask for more of that and more air guitar, it would help me even more immensely enjoy what you and Sam are building. Says, I can't wait for the show tomorrow already. And also, when is your merch coming out? I'm looking forward to buying my good friend who put real talk on my radar, a mug or two. That from Paolo, which is awesome. We have built our e-commerce site. We have ordered our merch. We have hired our shipper receiver. We've got to give her a better name than that. Katie deserves a better name than shipper receiver. We'll call her like importer exporter. Importer exporter, it's it's very mysterious for for, uh,
1: for Vandalay Industries. Yes, there you go.
0: Very well done. Um, so as soon as that merch is ready to go, you know we're going to let you know, and we hope that you love it. I'm really excited about it. You can be in touch with us uh, anytime. People are still chiming in on what they're paying for childcare. This is amazing. Uh, Ryan says Ryan's not wrong at all. He says at one point we were paying 1,900 bucks a month. For two kids at the local daycare, that's a nice car," says Ryan. Nineteen hundred a month—that's two nice cars. Yeah, that's one really nice car. You know that—that—that's a car with. No, I'm not going to say it. Well, now I have to say. It. No, not saying it. What I'm not going to say is that that's a car with leather made from endangered species. But that would be very insensitive. That would be that would be a horrible thing to say. The teams at Dairy Queen at Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. I had to find which sponsor would be okay with me hard segueing into talking about leather from endangered species into ice cream.
1: That's good. I've been trying to envision a way we could thread every ad read together. It could happen. It could happen. We could just tell this big story
0: arc. We could make it work. we just do it out of the top of the show like Rogan does. Just do like seven minutes of ads and then we go ad free. Dairy Queen, Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, the six locations owned by Mark and Mike want to remind you that the national promotion right now Is the Loaded Steakhouse Burger If you're feeling like treating yourself there Hit them up on the drive-thru Order through your favorite delivery app You tried the Loaded Steakhouse I've Burger? I tried
1: the Loaded Steakhouse Burger Because It you, is you,
0: tasty You were armed with with Dairy Queen GCs You had some gift cards to burn I did, burn. I had a few of them, yeah Were you, did you, like Does it change your stride Your strut walking down the sidewalk When you have a Dairy Queen gift card in your wallet? A little bit Like you're like I can, I can go in and get whatever I want Whenever I yeah. want Yeah Tell us about the Loaded Steakhouse Burger.
1: Loaded Steakhouse Burger. It's not what you expect from a fast food burger. It's got onion rings, crispy onion rings inside the burger. Oh,
0: boy. Oh, that's it? uh,
1: (laughs) Go get one and try it yourself.
0: (laughs) I thought you were just... I I didn't want to interrupt. I was just... I was going to provide the little staccato comment. The the, oh, boys. Oh, yeah. I was there for you. For five bucks, after you hammer down on a Loaded Steakhouse Burger... After 8 p.m. every single night, it's two for five dollar treat night where you can mix and match any two medium dipped cones and sundays at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You make sure you let them know that you're a real talker when you're there. Also, a big shout out to the team at Alta Moving and Storage. This is the time of year where spring cleaning, it's at the top of your list and they know it. So there's a couple of angles here. Number one, if you're spring cleaning to get the house ready to list, if you're considering a move, you're going to want to check in with the team at Alta Moving and Storage. They have these pod style moving containers that make it easy. They take the stress out. You move at your pace, plus short and long term storage solutions. If grandma's piano or grandpa's old dining room table or workbench, you can't bring yourself to give it away. Don't give it away, but you need to find some time to figure out the plan alta moving and storage is the place to look and a big shout out to the team at local waste for 25 years they've been taking on the big multinationals helping big and small businesses locally owned and operating find their waste management solutions garbage and recycling they love to talk trash at local waste and you can find them online at localwaste.ca Our show tomorrow is going to be unbelievable and I'm very excited about it. Dr. Alexander Wong has agreed to join us. He's one of the, uh, in my mind, more impressive voices on making COVID science, vaccine science accessible to us common folks that haven't done all the research. Plus, Daniel Bartholomew, conductor of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. What it was like to be growing up gay and find his way up there in the limelight tomorrow on Real Talk. Well